0: Welcome to the Green Shoots podcast by Appleyard Lees, a conversation for those who create or manage intellectual property. The use of AI and machine learning in drug discovery is increasing, especially in the discovery of treatments for COVID-19. Obtaining patent protection for these innovations is complex, requiring multidisciplinary tech-specific patent knowledge. In this episode, Patent Attorneys and Appleyard Lee's Partners Barbara Fleck, Julia Gwilt and Howard Reed discuss the difficulties of obtaining a patent involving both biotech and software and the importance of a multidisciplinary team of patent attorneys. Barbara Howard and Julia, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you very much, Charlie, for the introduction. Well, I think it's fair to say that AI and drug discovery or or AI and medical treatment in general has been a pretty hot topic for the last few years. You only need to pick up a conference agenda for one of the larger scientific conferences, and invariably there will be a session on AI and drug discovery. Of course, repurposing of drugs and doing so using AI and machine learning has been in the news a lot, especially with COVID treatments. So this has entered the mainstream news as well. In my view, this is also a complex area when we look at obtaining patent protection because there's a crossover of technology. So you're looking at life sciences, biotech expertise, as well as software expertise. But it's also complex because there are certain requirements for patentability in Europe and in the US that need to be considered. I'm coming at this from a biotech angle because I'm a biotech patent attorney. But I've got my colleagues here, Howard and Julia, who actually practice in the software area. And I'm I'm really keen to have a discussion with you about this area and the kind of cases that you work on and and your thoughts on patentability matters, for example.
2: Barbara, thank you for your question. As you know, we've worked together on a number of these cases, and we certainly have seen a rise in interest in this field in the last 10 years or so. What's interesting is, I think the patent offices aren't quite sure as well how to handle these cases, are they? We need a team of people to consider these cases, both in terms of developing the inventions and also reviewing the inventions from a patentability point of view. So there are software aspects which come up, and there are biotech aspects that come up, and... At the moment there are not so many people who are skilled in both areas. So a team of examiners seem to be working on the cases as well as perhaps a team of patent attorneys and team of engineers working together. And certainly from a computing point of view, we've seen interesting objections relating to whether or not their methods of using a computer programme, whether they're abstract ideas if we're dealing with the US, and just generally it can be a minefield to obtain patent protection in this area. Howard did you want to put more specifics? This
3: is a hugely fascinating area. If we think about those who are working in this space, then very much reflecting how we have to think of patterns. The the teams that are developing um, these technologies, we must expect, and they are, very multidisciplinary. And we must reflect that also in what we do. And that is partly why we're here today, from Barbara's biotech perspective and Julia's computational perspective, and perhaps I fall somewhere in between having also worked extensively with pharmaceutical and biopharmaceutical companies, but from a computing perspective.
1: I think what you've both said there, Julia and Howard, is really important, isn't it? It's the fact that in a lot of these applications, we need to look at Technology that relates to computing and technology that relates to biological aspects. And certainly from my perspective, and Julia's already mentioned that we work together on a lot of cases, you know, my, my background is molecular biology and I handle various matters in the biotech arena. And I certainly am not skilled in software at all. And in fact, if I see any mass calculations, I do get a little bit concerned there. And it's certainly not something that I feel comfortable with. But in a lot of the cases that we've worked on, Julia, there are some you know, very complex calculations involving, for example, identifying biomarkers, et cetera. And really, it requires both of us to have a look at these cases and work with the inventors so that we can ensure that we capture the biotech subject matter, so the biology that's involved, as well as the computational aspects, and also draft the claims accordingly. There might be biotech aspects we want to capture, There might be some clever software aspects. And it's really a very collaborative effort across different teams. And I think this is really interesting because I honestly do not think that we come across this very often that we have such interdisciplinary teams working on, on patent applications from areas that are so distinct, like biotech and software. And one of you said this also about, you know, how do examiners at patent offices actually handle that? You know, are they able to reach out to their colleagues? Is a biotech examiner able to say, do you know, there's, there's some complicated calculations and software aspects here, and I'm not familiar with those. What's your feeling in terms of Cases that you have seen? Do you think that there's a way that examiners can reach out to their colleagues to help them understand the technology better?
3: Barbara, that's an excellent question. Certainly, before the pandemic, and I just have to mention that, at workshops held by the European Patent Office on patentability of AI related inventions, the EPO certainly did discuss that cases such as these that fall between different subject areas, would be handled by a similar multidisciplinary team at the European Patent Office, at least for examination. I haven't as yet seen examples of this. In contrast, the examples I've seen have been handled either by those who traditionally handle drug discovery type applications or would handle computer-implanted inventions. And there has been at times difficulty in explaining to the examining divisions different aspects of the technologies which they are not familiar with, and they should not be expected to be, but we would hope that going forwards would see an increasing collaboration at the offices, such that the multidisciplinary nature of the technology, and particularly of the claims, is examined as it should be. Julia, what are your thoughts there?
2: I agree that certainly these cases present some challenges. And I think perhaps if I give at least one concrete example of where I think the multidisciplinary nature of the invention has caused issues. Some years ago now, and this is, you know, I'm sure processes have improved since then, I was working on a case which was about designing proteins. Now, as Barbara said, she runs away from the complex mathematics. And in this case, there was modeling rather than using AI techniques, which is more commonplace perhaps now. From my perspective as a data scientist, we do need the biotech people to keep us on the straight and narrow as well, because for me the biotech information is input data, and then obviously there's output data. And if I don't understand the biology, which is quite likely to be the case, we can make very basic mistake in the way that we write the patent application, which I'm sure biotech people would be horrified at. For example, aggregation of proteins, you know, in terms of modelling, we can model aggregation, and we can increase aggregation, we can also decrease aggregation because the model would allow you to do both but of course from a biotech perspective you're clearly not going to want both of those outcomes quite the reverse and actually in that same case that was an example of where drafting and involving a biotech person and a a software person is really important to make sure the application makes sense from a biotech perspective but when the case was examined by the patent office it was interesting because it's another example of where you need multidisciplinary group of people reviewing the case because the examiner rate raised an objection, and I think he was based in the software team, that, well, it's all well and good. You've told me how to design these proteins. I, I understand all of that, but I don't understand how you'd make a protein once you've worked out which is the best one. So your case is insufficient because I can't make a protein. Of course, myself as a computer scientist, that sounds like a horrific objection. That's one we won't be able to overcome because we haven't got any data in the application explaining that. My biotech colleague just immediately said oh no that's so straightforward it's so well known if you know what the output is from your computer program you can just go away and make the protein and she was able to provide background information that showed that this was really straightforward and of course which persuaded the computer scientist who was examining the case to allow the case so hopefully that's a good illustration of how these things can go wrong when multidisciplinary people are not working on the case.
1: Yeah, thanks for those points. As I mentioned at the beginning, one of the objections that we need to consider when we look at AI and drug discovery, and I I use this loosely to describe cases which might have more of a biotech angle and cases which might have more of a software angle and those that have both. But when we look at those cases, we need to be Really aware of claiming subject matter correctly so that it doesn't fall foul of the provisions under European and under US law for lack of patentability. And this is something that, to be honest, in the biotech space doesn't come up that often. And what I mean are provisions which exclude from patentability a mental act, for example. Certainly in Europe, we do not struggle with this. The U.S. is quite different. But I wonder, Julia, if you could explain the provisions in Europe and in the U.S., because I also know that there are probably some misconceptions about computer-implemented inventions and, and what can be patented and what cannot be patented, particularly in Europe and in the U.S. And it's certainly something that's always baffled me because some of it is quite different from... biotech sector.
2: Thank you, yes. So the patentability requirements in the software space can be tricky, but I think what's really important to stress is that software is perfectly patentable. What you cannot patent is the code, if you like, the actual wording of the code, but you can certainly patent the underlying principles and the methodology that you're seeking to implement with the code. Where The patentability issues come to play is you have other objections from the patent offices that we're dancing around. So, for example, as you mentioned, mental acts and also perhaps the application of the technology may also lead to other objections. But most computer programs are algorithms. There's a sequence of steps which are carried out, often in a logical order. They may repeat And it's quite easy to write the patent application or the claims of the patent application in terms of just the sequence of steps which are carried out. But if you just write them out without explicitly mentioning the fact that all of the steps are implemented on a computer, actually what you've inadvertently written is a mental act because these steps could theoretically be carried out by a human. They might be incredibly difficult, very complex and very time consuming for an individual to work out each of these steps algorithmic steps but it is potentially possible that they could do that and hence it could be done mentally by a person. But of course it's quite simple to avoid that objection by just explaining that the steps are carried out on a computer or the overall method is a computer implemented method and this avoids mental step objection quite straightforwardly. The other alternative is we've seen in some of the cases we've worked on is to include a wet step as we call it, so some kind of gathering of data or something carried out in it, perhaps a biological space rather than it completely in silico. Howard, did you have anything to add around the mental act or other exclusions?
3: It's certainly an interesting aspect because we have exclusions related to, say, computer programs as such or mental acts. We also have exclusions related to plasticity of, um, say, methods of diagnosis at the other extreme. So, these AI-implemented inventions in this space could contravene at both ends, potentially. And that's where your cross-disciplinary team very much brings in that knowledge. I think another point that i um, just picking up on, I think, Julia, earlier you mentioned the term aggregation in the context of proteins, for example. And this is always thinking about what terms are terms of the art, but have entirely different meanings in computing as opposed to in life sciences. That is something that must be considered in drafting a patent application.
2: No, I agree. And in particular, as Barbara mentioned, she was scared of the mathematics. But actually, I'm sometimes quite scared by the biotech terms, which seem to be incredibly long, and sometimes feel that they may have been made up for the specific purposes. But as you say, unless you're an expert in the field, you don't know which of the standard words and which are the made-up words. No, that's a very valid point.
1: Yeah, I agree. It's a really good point. And I think it goes back to your example, Julia, of the case that you described to us. And I really do feel for examiners who look at those cases, and they come from one technical background, and that there's a lot of information on another technical area that they may not really know that much about and certainly not experts in. So in your example, the examiner struggled with how is that, that protein actually made when you have the computer output, which I imagine was the sequence. And that just illustrates that it's quite difficult to cross that bridge for examiners in one division to understand the technology that isn't really their field and emphasizes, again, that collaboration also at the examiner level is, I think, really useful and, and of benefit to applicants, because that should overcome any objections that are actually unfounded, because the examiner lacks the knowledge in the specific technology area. So we don't have to spend time on dealing with these objections. And obviously, we want to make sure that we get things through grant quite quickly without lengthy examination and and lots of responses that we need to do. One thing I also wanted to ask you about and your views on who files applications in in this area. We work a lot for academic institutions and there's a lot of really exciting technology coming out of these various universities. But I think, Howard, you've looked into this, haven't you? And, And I wonder if you can share your thoughts on that.
3: Barbara, thank you. So in as much as the different technical fields are, we have experts in those, we have similarly patent applications originating from really polar opposites. From the biotech side, for example, Medimmune is being successful, at least in Europe. But overall, the largest applicants in this space, and this is globally, are in fact those who are involved in computing hardware. So in NVIDIA and IBM, for example, it'd be interesting to have a look to see what sort of technology they are seeking patent protection for. We'll say that the hardware manufacturers are being less successful, at least proportionately, before the European Patent Office. Those who are traditionally involved in this life sciences are being more successful.
2: Sorry to interrupt, Howard, but one of the, the growth areas is certainly in personalized medicine. And that seems to be of a great interest to the hardware manufacturers, as you mentioned, because they have the hardware that may enable you to collect all the information, you know, your smartwatches or your phone can collect an awful lot of data about you these days. If the right apps or programs are running on your phone, they can predict some personalized medicine or some personalized outcomes, at least. And that does seem to be where there's a lot of activity from the more traditional electronics manufacturers. Certainly, that's the interest areas I've seen. And I do wonder whether the issue there with success is perhaps partly because we're, it's a crowded field and there's there's a lot of people trying to file patent applications in a, in a relatively small space. But also, we touched on the exclusions. And Typically, as you know, with the software, when we're trying to overcome the software as such objection, we introduce features relating to the technical application of the software. But we can then quite easily trip up in these sorts of spaces by, as you say, moving into another exclusion. So you get round. That it's not software as such, it's serving a purpose in the community. Oh, but it's serving as a method of diagnosis or as a method of treatment, which certainly in Europe is not patentable. In the States, there's a slightly different. So it perhaps is that the traditional ways of overcoming the software objections introduce additional problems because, of course, we have the additional exclusions, or it could just simply be there's just a crowded space and a lot of interest.
3: Barbara, if, for example, a new chemical entity has been identified using AI, then what is in fact more valuable for the client usually?
1: So working on the basis that this is an entity like a pharmaceutical company that is interested in using this chemical entity as a pharmaceutical treatment to treat a disease and this is how it will be marketed and sold and used. The value lies in the actual Chemical that has been identified. So, a product claim to the new chemical entity will be an extremely useful tool in protecting that drug product. Depending on the case and the data, there are, of course, related claims that one could incorporate in a patent application relating to uses of the compound in treating a certain disease. And there are some differences as to how you would word those types of claims. In different jurisdictions. But really, a a product claim, I think, is really what I would recommend one goes for. In terms of the AI aspect, I I think that would first and foremost probably depend on what kind of AI modelling was used here and, and whether that in itself or the methodology in itself could form the basis of a claim or whether there are some aspects that actually In fact, the client might want to keep confidential in terms of that actual methodology.
2: Certainly, that's a decision that we're seeing being made by some companies, isn't it? That they are ultimately deciding to protect the output via the patent system, but keeping the methodology to themselves and keeping it as a trade secret and using protection in in that way. It's not an option that's available to all. We work, as you say, with academic institutions who tend to publish papers in Nature or other eminent publications. And if you're publishing the details of your methodology as well as the output, you need to try and obtain protection for the methodology if you think you have a reasonable prospect of obtaining some patent protection there. The flip side, as you mentioned, of course, is that in patenting, you have to reveal the information. But if you're going to reveal the information via a publication, the patent process doesn't harm that. But if you think you can benefit from a trade secret to protect your your methodology, then it is certainly an option that's been used by some companies.
1: Wow, I think we we covered quite a lot of topics there, really. Thank you very much, Julia, Howard, and and also Charlie. I think some of the take-home messages here are the interdisciplinary nature of the inventions that we've been talking about that cover aspects to do with biology as well um, as computing and software and the fact that to draft a robust patent application, you really need to involve a team of patent attorneys that has the required expertise. We talked a bit about the difficulties that examiners might face because they come from one division with a certain technical background, but they need to reach out to their colleagues to really appreciate and understand the invention and be comfortable with those areas that fall outside their expertise. We also talked about the challenges during prosecution in particular, when it comes to excluded subject matter. And again, that emphasizes that you need both that biotech expertise as well as the software expertise. And lastly, I think a really important point that we raised when we spoke about access to data and and training models is, is the collaboration between Big pharma companies and the smaller companies, and it, it's something that is really important. And I think it's something that we are seeing a lot. And and actually, I spoke to a good friend of mine, who is with a um, a biotech company in in Cambridge, and he he was saying that perhaps due to COVID, where where so many collaborations have happened really quickly and perhaps there was less red tape than there would normally be that might just set the scene for the future so, so that we're hoping to see that really crucial collaboration between the smaller biotech companies and the large companies the big pharma companies to bring to market those really important medicines for patients which of course is really what we all want it's been a really interesting discussion thanks to everyone who's been involved that's great thanks
3: thank you
0: so much
1: Thanks for listening to the Green Shoots
0: Podcast by Apple Yard Lees. If you have a question or issue you would like our IP specialist to discuss on the podcast, then tweet us at AppleyardLees or email us at IP at